though uh, you all had a chance to pick up the material here on the table, I hope. Uh, for those of you who are participating with us online, uh, that stuff um, I will talk to you about when we get to it, that section in uh, the PowerPoint, there's a link there where you can download what we'll be talking about, so you'll be okay with us as well. So before we do, though, you also picked up a Secret of Satisfaction, a Secret of Contentment. That's the Saturday seminar that we're doing, The Secret to a Satisfied Life. Uh, I'm super excited about that, that study. It's going to be, um, it's, it's one of the things that... Um, if you were to ask me of all the Bible studies and material that I've put together, now you guys are going to laugh at me, but really this is one of the best ones I've ever done. <laughs> and I mean that. This one, this one is just so uh, relevant and real and needed uh, in a world where there's just so much discontentment and there's so much unhappiness and there are so many reasons why... We're not enjoying life, not really feeling the joy that God and purpose that God has for us. That's what this Saturday morning will be all about. And I want you to know it's not just me up talking the whole time. Uh, what you'll actually be doing is we'll be putting together a contentment map. Uh, you'll get to do some work at putting together a map about working through what is your personal mission statement. We're going to work through that together. We're going to work through how does what your purpose in life affect how, you're, how you live, what you say, what you do. There's a whole map that we'll put together that will give you like a, a road map of how to work towards not just knowing the secret of happiness and contentment and satisfaction, but applying it in your life. And it's something that you'll be able to take home and you'll be able to use and modify and work as the Holy Spirit works through that uh, in the days ahead to help you just really tune in to the secret of satisfaction and contentment in life. So uh, there'll be a lot of Bible study, there'll be a lot of conversation, there'll be a lot of working on our map. Uh, so I think it's really one of the most practical things that, that I have done. So this would be a great thing if you know someone that's just struggling with some uh, depression or struggling with some uh, sadness in their lives, they just can't really find what it's all about. If you know someone that's dealing with some of those issues, it would be a wonderful thing for you to invite them uh, to join us on this discovering the secret of satisfaction, all right? So there you are. If you have some questions about that, let me know. You can all sign up online for that if you'd like. Uh, it will help us get the materials prepared and ready. All right, that being said, we're going to dig in. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll start off in the Word of God. Gracious Lord, uh, well, thank you for technology. Yes, God, thank you for technology, uh, that it's working and that we are uh, up and running and that we can connect with our friends who are joining us uh, online. But more than that, thank you just for the word that we study. Uh, today we get in again some very practical stuff as we talk about the body of Christ, the church, of which each and every one of us is a part of. And, and we know, God, that you've created each of us uniquely and designed us, gifted us to be an important part of the body. So help us understand what that looks like, how that works, so that we can find that joy in our lives and that you can use it to bring joy into others. So bless us as we work through this really cool and important part of the word today. And pray that all of these things we pray and ask in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. All right, my friends, so as you can see, we are in Romans chapter 12, so if you want to open your books up to that, 
And you remember last week we started sort of this two-phase process that St. Paul lays out for us in Romans 12. You remember we talked about all the doctrine, all the theology, and then we come to Romans 12, which is that great therefore, right? The therefore of now that you know all of these things, now that your head is filled with all this great knowledge, that even though you're a broken sinner, even though you live in this broken world, that you are still mightily loved by God and graciously forgiven by God and redeemed and justified. Now you know all of this. So what? What does it mean? And it comes the great therefore. And so we started last week with the first of these two important aspects of what it looks like to live the Christian life. Remember last week we talked about commitment. Last week, St. Paul laid out, it all starts with a commitment to giving yourselves wholly and completely and totally to God. We had some really cool statements in there that we chatted about a little bit, like, God, I don't know what your purpose is for me. I don't know where you're guiding or where you're leading, but I'm in. Where you go, where you call me, I will go. You know, being totally committed and totally all in for God, even before we know where he's going to go even before we know where he's going to lead. It begins with a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. That was last week. Now today comes the second part of this aspect, which is a personal commitment to the body of Christ, the church. Now St. Paul is going to teach us that, that not only do we need to be committed to Jesus, but we need to be committed to his body, which is the church. And so he's going to lay out this beautiful plan in his anatomy lesson of what the church looks like and what the, how the church functions and how you are an important and valued part of that body of Christ and how without you, the church is hurting. Without you, the body of Christ is lacking and missing. So it is so important for you to figure it out, to figure out where you belong, where you've been called, where you've been gifted, where you're asked to serve so that the body can function the way it's supposed to. So this is today's lesson, this whole idea of a, a personal belief, uh, commitment to the body of Christ, the church. All right, so that's where we're going to go. So first of all, we're going to look at these steps, these five steps of how to become all that God wants you to be. We're going to look at each one of these in detail, right, as we work through them, as I always do. But I've just given you the first overview of what we're going to look at. To become all that God wants you to be or what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, here are these five things. And you're going to see, again, this is not my idea. This is not my thought. I didn't create these things. It's right straight here out of Romans chapter 12. St. Paul is going to tell us that we need to dedicate our bodies, that we need to eliminate competing distractions, that we need to evaluate our strengths, that we need to cooperate with other believers, and finally, the fifth piece is we need to activate our spiritual gift, our gifts. All right? So this is the plan that he lays out for us about what the body of Christ looks like and how the body of Christ works through these five things. So again, don't panic. If you haven't written all these down, we're going to look at them one at a time, starting with this first one, to dedicate your body. Right? Here's what he said. Chapter 12, verse 1, he said, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, what did he say? Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. 
So I think it's pretty clear there. Step one in committing yourselves to the church, to the body of Christ, is to offer your body. Now notice what Paul doesn't say. I think this is important. He doesn't say offer your time, offer your life, offer your soul. You know, what does he say? Dedicate your, your body. Now we touched on this a little bit last week, if you remember. Remember, we said when you give your body, you give your whole self. When you give your body, your time, your life, your soul comes along with it, doesn't it? Right? So really what Paul is saying when we say offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, what you're saying to him is, God, these are now your hands. God, these are now your ears. God, these are now your eyes. This mouth is your mouth. So I give it to you. Here's my body. Do with it as you will. Knit it into the body of Christ. Use it as you have purposed and gifted it to accomplish your plan and purpose. That's where Paul starts. Dedicate your bodies as living sacrifices. Because when God gets your body, he gets all of you. It's a total commitment. Now again, this is a little bit of a review of what we did last week. We chatted about this a little bit first, about the total giving of yourself your body. But now he's going to build on that. But it starts with that, giving of your body. Then he says, once you give your body, the next thing you need to do is eliminate the distractions. How did he put it? He said, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So eliminate all that would compete or get in the way of your purpose. So he says, dedicate your life totally to God, 12-1. And then he says, there are some things that you're going to have to eliminate. I don't know if we've figured this out yet. <laughs> it seems like we're, we, we are losing this concept in our world today. You do realize that you only have so much time in the day. You do realize that you only have so much energy in a day. You do realize that there's only so much that you can do in a day. Now, some of you type A people are really going to struggle with my next sentence. You don't have to do it all, right? You do not have to do everything. You have to make choices in life because otherwise you'll just be consumed, especially these days, isn't it? So much competing for our time and our attention and our resources and our love. You know, we can't do it all. So we have to decide what's important, decide what matters most, and accentuate the good and eliminate the negative. Right? That's the plan. See, I'd, I meet all kinds of Christians who are extremely talented and gifted, but they're too busy for God. I see this all the time, and it seems coming out of COVID, it's gotten even worse, right? It's gotten worse. I see people all the time with all kinds of talents and abilities that God's given them, but they're not available to God. It's like God calls and they say, well, not now, because, you know, I got this going and I got that going, and I'm just so tired because all weekend I was doing that, you know, and, and God, you know, maybe next week. We'll find some time to work together. Do you know, this is, this is what happens when we fail to understand how important it is to do what St. Paul says, 
to eliminate competing distractions and do not conform to the pattern of the world. Are you tracking with me, everybody? And I'm sure you feel this pressure. You know, I'm sure in this world you feel this pressure. You know, how do you get it all done? How do you find time to make everything work? You know, how do you get it all done? We all have that pressure. So how do we work it? So often we want to serve the Lord as long as it doesn't conflict with our schedules. Isn't that crazy? So he said, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Let's unpack that. There's a book that's written that's called, Get All You Can, Can All You Get, Then Sit on the Can. <laughs> and here's the thought of the book, right? The thought of the book, and this is this world's philosophy, right? This is the, the pattern of the world that's so beautifully in this title, right? First of all, the world says, get all you can. Is that a philosophy in the world? Achieve all that you can. Accumulate all that you can. Get everything you can. Never let a moment pass. Never let an opportunity pass. Heaven forbid that your children are not involved in every single opportunity available to them because they might miss out on something, right? Get all you can. Go for the gusto. Grab what you can. Get it and hold on tight to it. Then once you get it, put it all in your can, right? In other words, keep it. Once you get it, hold on to it tightly and do everything you can to keep it. Don't lose it. And then once you've got it, and once you've got it in your can and you're keeping it, then sit on that can so no one else can have it. Right? Does that sound like the world in which we live? Get everything you can. And once you have it, cling to it tightly so you never lose it, even if you have so much stuff that it's driving you crazy. Even if there's so much busyness in your life that it's killing you, don't let go of anything. Get all you can, hold on to it tight, and don't let anyone else get it. That's the philosophy of the world, the pattern of the world in which we live in today. I think that just sums it up, don't you? Right? So St. Paul says, don't conform to the pattern of this. Get all you can, can all you get, then sit on again. There's probably another meaning there too, but I didn't want to go there. <laughs> Here's another philosophy of the world, sort of. It says, you can have it all. That's this belief, and I don't know, you, you might look at it and go, that's not true. But I'm telling you, that message is bombarding us every single moment of every single day. You deserve it. You can have it all. You deserve to have every good thing. If heaven forbid that someone gets something that you don't, or heaven forbid that you've got to suffer for something or things don't work out the way you want. You can have it all. You know that's just not true, right? Do you? Please nod your head like this, right? If you know this is not true. So why do we live in order to get it all? If we know we can't have it all, then why do we want it all? Why do we strive for it all? Why do we kill ourselves? Why do we trash our God-given purpose to have what God doesn't want us to have. Why? It's because it's all around us. It's the pattern of the world. It's this worldview, this world philosophy that we are surrounded by. We're bombarded in the news. We're bombarded in television. We're bombarded in social media. We're bombarded with our friends. Everywhere we go, right, we're being hit with this. It's just not true. I believe selection is the name of the game in life. 
You know what I mean by that selection? You've got to choose who you are and who you want to be and what you want to accomplish. And when you choose something, you're also, when you say yes to something, you're also saying no to other things. This is what I mean by selection. It's okay to say no to things. <laughs> Would you all just repeat after me? It's okay to say no. Say it. It's okay to say no. It is. It's okay to say no. To select who God made you to be, who God called you to be, what God called you to do, and to focus in that and to live in that and to let God work through that to accomplish things in the body of Christ and in the kingdom. Right? Don't conform to the pattern of this world. So for me, the key is to know the difference between the things that are temporal and the things that are eternal. You know, what is it that you're living for? Things that are here today and gone tomorrow or the things that are here today and last forever? What are the things that are here today and last forever? A relationship with God and a relationship with each other, brothers and sisters in Christ. That is the only thing that you're going to take with you when you go. Do you hear me? Right? You're not taking your stuff. You're not taking your things you know, all you're taking with you that lasts for all eternity is this beautiful love, this beautiful relationship that you have with God and with each other, brothers and sisters in Christ. So what are you living for? Where are you putting all your eggs? What basket, what Easter basket are you putting all your eggs in? Right? This is what we need to know, the difference between the things temporal and things eternal. I truly believe you can have so many irons in the fire that you put out the fire. Right? You know where, that, where I'm going with that? So this is not new. This is St. Paul. He's the one who said this, right? He's the one who said, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Right? So we need to think of a different way to do things. How about this can instead? Here's a better can than that can. It was John Wesley who said, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can in all the places you can, in all the times you can, to all the people you can, and as long as you ever can. I like that can about better than the other can. That's where I want to live my life. That's where I hope you want to live your life. This is not conforming to the pattern of the world. This is conforming to the pattern that God has given you, who God has made you, and where God wants to place and use you in the world. Do you see the difference between these two cans? Right? Do not conform to the pattern of this world. All right, third, dedicate yourself, right? Dedicate your body, mind, spirit, and soul to God. Second, eliminate uh, the competing distractions. Next, third is evaluate your strengths. Again, here's how St. Paul said it. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. There he is. He said, all of us have gifts and strengths, and we need to understand those clearly. Again, here's a Dan idea. The exercise of your spiritual gift, I believe, is directly dependent and influenced on your attitude about yourself. So think of yourself with sober judgment, said St. Paul. 
We're not going to be able to use the gifts that God has given us, to use the gift that he has created us to be, unless we understand, first of all, who we are and who we aren't. Who God has made us to be and who God has not made us to be. What God has called us to do and gifted us to do and what God has called us not to do and not gifted us to do. I think one of the tragedies in the church is that often we plug people into a task that they're not gifted to do. And, and we elect them sometimes to positions or we appoint them to positions that they're not gifted to do. And it's a colossal failure for them and for the ministry. Instead, St. Paul says, we need to think of ourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure God has given us. So I love this word sober, right? Sober, sophromane, right? Sophromane, and the root of that is from sophro, which comes from two words, sous and frain, which is a, the word we get diaphragm from. So really the idea is it's the truth that regulates life. That's what sober means. It's an understanding that is true and it regulates how we act or think. That's what's in the meaning of this word sober judgment, sober-minded, clear thinking. Uh, that's all in connected in this word, in this world, in this word. So St. Paul says, right? Know your, dedicate your body, eliminate completing distractions, and then know your strengths. With sober judgment, understand what you're gifted for and what you're not gifted for. So you got to know what you're good at and what you're not good at. So again, here's my thought. I think we people have a tendency to do two things when we're evaluating ourselves, right? We have two tendencies. One, we think we're indispensable. Uh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when I'm perfect in every way. You know the song? Uh, I can't wait to look in the mirror. I get better looking each day. Lord, to know me is to love me. I must be a heck of a man. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. We think we're indispensable, or in the other extreme, we think we're worthless. And you know what? Both of those are wrong. We're neither of those things. We're not indispensable, or are we worthless? Somewhere in the middle. That's what sober judgment is, to figure that out. I found this poem I loved. It's called The Indispensable Man. It says, sometimes when you're feeling important, sometime when your eagle's in bloom, sometime when you take it for granted, you're the best qualified man in the room. Sometime when you feel that you're going would fill an unfillable hole, just follow these simple instructions and see how they humble your soul. Take a bucket and fill it with water Put your hands in it up to your wrists. Pull them out, and the hole that remains is the measure of how you'll be missed. <laughs> you may splash all you wish when you enter. You may stir up the water galore, but stop, and you'll find in a minute that it looks just the same as before. The moral of this quite simple, you must do the best that you can. Be proud of yourself, but remember, there is no indispensable man. All right, makes sense, y'all? Right? So, you know, we, first thing is understanding idea of sober judgment is that there is no indispensable man or woman. 
in evaluating our strengths. We need to understand that we're not indispensable. If we were to go, God would still accomplish his plan and purpose. God would still work, right? But on the other hand, to understand that we're all still needed, that we all still have an important place, that we are invaluable and important in the body of Christ. So that's that sober judgment is understanding. So Paul says, be realistic, have sober judgment. Don't overestimate and don't underestimate your gifts, who you are and how God has called you and wants to use you. So here's the thing. I think a lot of people misunderstand what humility is, right? Humility doesn't mean going around saying, I'm no good, I'm just junk. Or as I wrote there, God, Jesus didn't die for junk, did he? You are invaluable to God. You are precious to God. You are worth the death of his one and only son. That's how precious and valuable you are, right? So that's not what it means to be humble. What it means is that you're honest about both your strengths and your weaknesses. That's what it means to be humble. You've taken an honest assessment of who you are and how God wants to use you in the body of Christ, and you understand how that works. And then isn't this an interesting phrase? You know, he says that we are to, um, uh, excuse me, um, uh, look at ourselves with sober judgment. And then he says, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Now, do you remember talking about faith earlier in Romans with, with me, about faith as an all or nothing thing? You either have it or you don't. Do you remember that discussion? But now it seems that Paul is saying that God gives a measure of faith to each of us that's different. Well, remember, we are now in this section of sanctification, not justification. So we're talking here in the sanctification section, not faith for salvation, which is justification, and that is an all or nothing thing. You're either saved or you aren't, right? You either have saving faith or you don't. You don't have a little or a lot or a middle of that. You have it all or nothing. It's like you're either pregnant or you're not. There's no middle ground there, right? <laughs> Same with saving faith. You either are or you aren't. But see, different though, service faith, sanctification faith, how we serve the Lord, there is measure to that. There is a difference. And it, it, God has measured out carefully to every believer a certain amount of faith. Now, the classic example of this in the Bible is the parable of the talents. Do you remember this parable? Jesus talks about a, a master who goes away, and he gives one ten talents, he gives one five talents, and he measures out to another one talent. See, this is, this is the way I think that, that we need to think about what this verse is about, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. So Jesus, God, figures out who needs what and what needs to happen when and who he's gifted to make things go in that direction. And he measures out the gifts, the spiritual gifts that are necessary to make it happen. Right? Does that make sense? Right? In accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. So what does this mean? And what does this not mean? Does this mean that some of you are better than others? Does this mean that, that some spiritual gifts are more valuable or important than others? I mean, he's going to talk about that in a second when he talks about the body of Christ. Right? He's going to say, you know, it's, it, you can't, the foot can't say to the eye, I don't need you. Some of the parts that we would consider less important are the most important. 
right? So he uses the body of Christ to say, it's not about more that you're, you're better or worse or some are more important than others. It's just God's wisdom. It's God's sovereignty again. This is how God's work, how God works. He has a plan. And his plan includes you, and his plan includes me, and his plan includes to give each of us different gifts to accomplish different plans that work according to his plan to move all things in his direction. Right? Right? So I love this verse, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. So we are only responsible to use the measure of faith he's given us. Right, so I'm back to this sober judgment thing again that we're talking about. How has God measured out his gifts to you? How has God measured out his passion for you? What is it that really flips your switch? What is it that really gets you going? What is it that really brings joy in your life? What is it that brings satisfaction and fulfillment? It's different for you than it is for me, than it's different for her. Right? It's, it's this is how God measures it out. Your job is not to figure out my gifts. You know, your job is to figure out your gifts and understand what God has measured out to you. All right? Uh, thoughts about that before I move on to the fourth? All right. Four, cooperate with other believers. Once we have dedicated our bodies, once we have eliminated the competing distractions, once we have evaluated our strengths with sober judgment and understood how God has gifted us to be used, then we cooperate with other believers. He said, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. Do you hear? You need to work together, he said. You need to cooperate with one another. Or like I like to say, there are no lone rangers in the Christian church. There are not. We were not created to be lone rangers. We were created to be community people. We were, we were created by God to, you know, the, the idea of the church is not something that people made up. You understand this, right? The church is a God institution. The body of Christ is a God thing. He designed us to be community and be communal. Uh, if any of you were with us well, a couple years ago when we did the growing through the Old Testament, we spent a whole lesson once talking about God being triune and God being in community with himself how God has this beautiful dance of Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And there's this beautiful work and cooperation and unity and purpose that we see exuding from this one triune God. And if you remember, then we said, the glory of all this is we were created in his image. So what does that mean? If God is communal, if God relates in love to himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then what does that mean if we were created in his image? We were created for community. We were created for one another. We were created to work together in this thing called the church, the body of Christ, so that we can be fulfilled and so that we can be fulfilling to others. Do you see? This is God's plan. So St. Paul says, you know, you have to work together. No lone rangers. No Christian is independent. 
There are no independent contractors in the Christian church. We are all instead interdependent on one another. Now, I hope that you've felt that in our church or a church somewhere. You know, I hope you feel that when you come to church, that you are not um, sitting at the PAC in a chair watching a show with people that you might or might not know, strangers, maybe some you know, but you know, what are you there? You're there to watch a show. <laughs> when we gather together in church, what we say that we're brothers and sisters in Christ isn't just a phrase. We mean it. It means that we're here for one another. It means that we pray for one another. It means that we laugh together and we cry together and we work together and we forgive together and we plan together and we see God at work through us to do amazing things in the kingdom of God, to be light in the darkness. He's using us to be a part of that. I hope you feel that here at church. You know, that's one of my fears about faith church is that we get so big sometimes and we have so many different services that it's easy to come to faith church to walk in, do your church thing and walk out and never talk to another soul, never connect with another person. You know, that, that's just a danger that we have at a church our size. Have you ever been to a little church sometime and you walk in and every head turns and goes, who's the stranger? <laughs> right? Do you know what I mean? Because they know each other. In a small church, it's easier sometimes to build that. But here, sometimes you can walk in and out and not even be noticed. Would you agree? And that's not what the church is supposed to be about. We have to work really hard to make sure everybody stays for donuts or coffee, or whatever, or a conversation afterwards. You know, we have to work hard to make those opportunities that we connect because we are not independent contractors. We are interdependent brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, this is not my word. This is St. Paul. We need to cooperate with one another. So Paul then gives us this beautiful anatomy lesson, right? The church operates like a human body, he said. So if again, if you're filling out on your, your sheet, there's some implications from Paul's anatomy lesson, right? What did he say? Number one, every believer is a minister, right? So what do I mean by that? That every single one of us has a ministry. Sometimes we do a disservice when we separate the staff function as our ministers and the rest of us are just lay people. Do you know what I mean? That's not true. Every single one of us is a minister in the body of Christ. Every single one of us has a ministry to participate in, to be a part of, to use the gift that God has given us. So, you know, if you're just one of those folks who comes to church and then leaves, you're missing what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, that you are a minister. Second, every one of us ministers, every believer has a different function. That's this anatomy lesson. In the body of Christ, there's different pieces, different functions for each and every one of us. So you have to figure out what that function is for you. Also, every ministry is important. We can't say that one is more important than another or less important than another. You know, every ministry is important in the body of Christ, and every believer must cooperate with all the other believers so that the body of Christ can work and function the way it's supposed to. 
All right, does that make sense, y'all? So this is this anatomy lesson, implications about being the body of Christ as we work together using our gifts to uh, function as God's called us. Thoughts or questions, anyone? Some of this is tracking, making sense. So first, we dedicate our bodies. Next, we eliminate the, con the competing distractions. Then we identify our strengths and weaknesses with sober judgment. Then we begin to work together in our gifts. And that brings us to the, uh, oh wait, I forgot this important part, sorry. I worry sometimes and wonder if we've created a thinking that Christianity only involves a series of lectures. I think this is a Lutheran danger, by the way, right? We Lutherans love a good intellectual Bible study. You know, uh, we love, my wife will tell me all the time, I'll ask her, uh, how, did she like, how did you like the sermon? And she'll say, I liked it because I learned something. Or her word is, I got a nugget. She loves it when she gets a nugget, <laughs> you know? And some sermons, she doesn't get that nugget, and then it's not meaningful to her, right? So I worry sometimes that we thought that being a Christian is just a series of lectures where I come and I fill my head with knowledge, but then as long as I'm taking notes, that's all involved, that's all that's involved in the Christian life. You know, that's not enough. It's not enough just to know. If we only feed but don't exercise our faith, we will die and so will the church, the body of Christ. Right? You all get that? Right? We just can't come and sit in church. We're called to do so much more and be so much more the body of Christ. All right, now, fifth piece is activate your spiritual gift. Right, that's the next page. How did St. Paul say it? We all have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. So he lays out, did you notice seven examples? Well, there's a coincidence, right? Seven. Seven examples of the gifts that God gives. And the Bible teaches us this idea then. When we're born physically, you get some physical gifts, some physical attributes. And did you know that when you're born spiritually, you're also given a spiritual gift or a spiritual attribute? Did you know it works that way? Yes, no? Maybe that's an understood thing. You know, we just know some of us are, we're, when we're born physically, some of us are taller, shorter, some of us are faster, slower, some of us are smarter, not so smarter, some of us are bigger, some of us are smaller, you know. We, we have these physical gifts, but we're also gifted spiritually, right? And, and this is a part of God's plan in the body of Christ. We have these spiritual gifts. So now, this is when we can chat about this AWICS thing that you all picked up. You know what, faith, we do this AWICS, which stands for any way I can serve. So this is a way for you, for us to help you understand that sober judgment of what your gifts are. If you open up your AWICS pack, I think it's on page two or so, you'll find a, a website, a link that you get on your computer, and you'll get on this website, uh, and you'll take a test. 
a spiritual gift inventory test. It will help you think through what is it that you enjoy, what is it you don't enjoy, what are you good at, what are you not good at, what are you passionate about, what do you care not at all about, right? It helps you if through a, a, a quite a few questions to identify your spiritual giftedness. Then once you identify your spiritual gifts, it doesn't do any good unless you understand what that is. So there's a whole section in your AWICS pack that will explain what that gift is. So you have the gift of encouragement. What does that mean? And so you have a chance to read about your spiritual gift. Then once you've identified it, once you understand it, then we will show you opportunities that you can practice that gift and use that gift here at Faith or in our community. Right? So this is a free thing. You don't have to pay for your AWICS test. It's a free online inventory that you do. And um, after you do it, it will help you connect with us at Faith of how we can help you practice the, um, being the body of Christ. So those of you who are online, here you can see the link on your screen right now uh, on our Faith website. There you can go um, to figure that one out. Uh, and get on the line to do your AWICS. You can also download the packet that I handed out to everybody here today. That's also there for you on the website for you to use as you sort of figure that out as long, along with all the rest of us. All right, remember me saying when we did Romans that first, you know, 11 chapters is pretty theological, pretty doctrinal. Now we're into the, okay, well, let's make it real section. Here's where it gets real. Here's where you're going to put your money where your mouth is. Here's where you're going to put your gifts into work, into action for the Lord. All right, so then I wanted just to conclude then as we're talking about activating our spiritual gifts, just to talk about what spiritual gifts are. You know, we could do a 40-week <laughs> study on spiritual gifts, but I'm just going to give you the speedy crib notes, right? Um, St. Paul said here, we have different gifts according to the grace the basis of our spiritual giftedness is that beautiful word, grace. That's what he said. We have different gifts according to your good looks. Is that what it said? According to your uh, Christian denomination. No, it's not. It's a grace thing, right? It's, that's why they're called gifts, because <laughs> it's a grace thing. God gives them freely. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. You don't ask for it. God gives it to you as a gift. It's grace. So because it's grace, then think about this. 1 Peter 4, each one of us should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. So look, look at this verse. Every time we use our spiritual gift, we are administering God's grace to the world. Just let that sink in a little bit. No matter what your gift is, let's say your spiritual gift is cooking bratwurst and sauerkraut, right? Every time you make bratwurst and sauerkraut for another person, you are administering God's grace to them. You're using your gift. Do you see if this is a great thing? Uh, every gift, I, I, you did bratwurst just because who would ever think that would be a spiritual gift? But we're going to get to the, what are the spiritual gifts? It, how, no matter how small it might seem, Anytime you use God's spiritual gift, you are administering grace. You are a grace dispenser. How awesome is that? 1 Corinthians 12 says, All of these are the work of the one and same Spirit, and He gives them to each person 
just as he determines. Again, gifts of God are grace things. They don't come to us because we ask for them, because we desire them, uh, but they come because he chooses. Sovereignty again. So how do you decide who gets what gift? Well, you don't. God does. So here's the question. Should you pray for a specific spiritual gift? I don't think you should. This is just my Dan theory here, right? I think a better prayer than to say, God, I want this spiritual gift. I think a better prayer would be, God, how do you want to use me today? God, where are we going to go today? God, what do you want to give me today so I can be a grace dispenser? See, that's really the prayer. And then you let God give because God's got a plan. <laughs> and, and, you know, here's the way it works. In, in my experience, it's rare that God calls us into an area to use our gifts where it's not comfortable, where it's not right, where we're outside of our giftedness, outside of our sweet spot. I mean, God does, not often, God does sometimes do that. But most of the time, the way he works is he figures out your sweet spot. He figures out your gift spot. He figures out your purpose. He's put you in a place, in a situation where you have just the right gifts that you need that bring you purpose and, and bring the grace of God to others. Do you see? That's the way he works. Yeah. Wouldn't you want to at times like say to God, God, help me encourage people, help me teach people. Wouldn't you, isn't that like a form of prayer where you, you know, you just, maybe you do have the gift, but you want to be better at it. Or maybe you, maybe as a counselor, dear Jesus, teach me to counsel these people. Mm -hmm. Isn't that, I mean, yes. you, should, you shouldn't ask. I'm saying what you're saying is really step two. Step one is, God, how, how do you want to use me? To, oh, God, you've called me to be a counselor. God, you've gifted me to do this gift of counseling. This is my spiritual gift. I believe and understand this is my passion. This is where you want to use me. Now, God, help me be a better counselor. Step two, help me see how this gift can be increased in my life and in my world. Do you know? So it, it, that's step two. Of step one is first you're open to God, and once he gives that gift, then you pray and you work to enhance it, to cultivate it, for sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. But I worry sometimes that, that you know, we are so, on, the grass is always so much greener on the other side of the fence for us, isn't it? And we do it with spiritual gifts, too. Man, I wish I had that spiritual gift. And so what do I do is I, I seek after that gift. Meanwhile, the gift God's given me just goes unused and uncultivated and unappreciated because we're just like that, aren't we? And, you know, always wanting what we don't have. Instead, I think it'd be better just to pray that God helps you understand with sober judgment who you are so that you can be all he wants you to be. Does that make sense, y'all? Y'all? Yes. I'd like to just throw in, it can also be as simple as I'll use myself. I was at Quick Trip. A gentleman's checking out. He's got his hands full. He sees those, those blueberry 
Dunkin' Donuts, and he's like, how am I going to take it? I said, how about if I carry that to the counter for you? We have to, you know, when we're working at, when we're working so hard, these things are right in front of us, and we have to remember to take hold of that moment. See, yep. See that's your spiritual gift. <laughs> See, and so you just, you think that way. I would have walked right past. Because <laughs> my spiritual gift is not noticing stuff like that. <laughs> You know, you're right. Exactly. But so you make a good point. Once you realize what it is, then just pour into it. Let it, let God work through it. You know, that's the beauty of the body of Christ. Can those gifts change? Oh, yeah. Yeah, did you hear what he said? Can those gifts change? Absolutely. For sure. God is always moving and working and grooving, and he's not done with you yet, man. All right, so what's the purpose of spiritual gifts? In Ephesians 4, St. Paul said, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. Did you see there the, the two purposes of spiritual gifts? First, he said, the purpose of all of these gifts, they're all different, but they all had these same two purposes. One, to build, excuse me, build up the body of Christ. So why does God give gifts? So that we can be so proud of ourselves, right? So that we can say, look at me, look what I can do. Is that why? No. The first purpose of God blessing us with these gifts is that we can build up the body of Christ. That's God's plan. You know, uh, how is God going to work in your life? Do you know what? Most of the time, again, this is a Dan theory, so take it with a grain of salt. Most of the time, God's not going to swoop down with a loud God voice. God's not going to smack you upside the head with his God magic wand, his miracle wand. But most of the time, if God's going to work in your life, you know how he does it? Through other believers through brothers and sisters in Christ. This is his plan. He builds you up as he gifts others around you to be grace dispensers for you. So you see how this works. As you're being built up by others around you, then what does God do for you? He helps you build up others around you. And before you know it, everyone is so busy building each other up that we're all built up. <laughs> right? That's the plan. That's the way it's supposed to be. I heard this dumb story once about a planet of people that had no elbows. And you know what? They never had a war. They never, ever fought. There was never any hatred or discord. And do you know why they loved each other so and why they needed each other so? Because if you have no elbows, you can't feed yourself. You can't get food into your mouth, can you? So what do you need? You need someone else to feed you. They needed each other. And because they needed each other and they saw how they were each, all everyone was building each other up, they just lived in peace and harmony. So you see, this is the thought. The gifts of God are given not to keep for ourselves, but to build each other up. And you might say, if I'm so busy building everybody else up, who's going to take care of me? Who is? Everybody else. Oh, maybe we're meant to be in community. Maybe God wanted us to be a part of the body of Christ. Do you think? Yeah. <laughs> See, the first purpose is to build up the body of Christ, he said. And then check this out. 
so that we may all reach unity in the faith. God desires there to be unity in our communities. Now, this doesn't mean we all have to be Packer fans, although I'm still debating that one. <laughs> right? What's the unity that he, ex- that he asks for us to have? A unity in what is the great, what did, what did, what did God, Jesus say is the greatest rule of all time? Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is what we need to rally around. That is the unity that we need to find for our lives and our world, right? So all these gifts, different gifts, promote unity. So I love this, you know, we talk a lot these days about diversity, don't we? Right? Here's biblical diversity. Biblical diversity is when different people with different gifts, still work together and find more unity together than they find apart in the body of Christ. Make sense? That's biblical diversity. So how does this work? Paul gives us these seven examples. We read them earlier, right? So I just want to run through a little bit of a scenario with you about how the gifts of God are meant to be used to do these two things that we just looked at earlier, right? To build up the body of Christ and to create unity. So let's imagine, shall we, that we're at a dinner party and someone walks out of the kitchen with the most beautiful dessert and they fall and the whole dessert spills all over the floor. How would these gifts that St. Paul mentions work? The gift of prophecy. If someone had the gift of prophecy, they would say, oh, that's what happens when you make a mistake. And what's the motivation of the the words there? To help correct the behavior so it doesn't happen again. The gift of prophecy builds unity and builds each other up. The gift of serving, that person would say, let me help you clean that up. Right? That's how the, the... the gift would be worked, and then the motivation would be to fulfill a need. Do you see? The third gift St. Paul mentions of his seven was the gift of teaching. This person would say, well, the reason it fell is that it's too heavy on one side. The motivation there is to learn why it happened. Right? Build up. Build up. Create unity. Fourth is the gift of encouraging, he said. That person would say, next time, let's serve the dessert with the meal. (laughs) And the motivation there is to correct for the future. The fifth gift he talked about was the gift of giving. This person says, I'd be happy to buy a new dessert. And the motivation there is to use what God has given to make things better. The sixth gift is the gift of leadership. This person would say, Jim, get the broom. Sue, get the mop. Mary, help fix more dessert. The motivation there is to achieve the goals to help the group work together in achieving their purpose. The next gift is the gift of mercy. This person would say, oh, don't feel bad. It could have happened to anybody. The motivation there is to relieve guilt and shame. Right? Okay, so dumb examples. This is just me thinking about dessert. I was hungry when I was putting this together. <laughs> but do you see then the, the purpose of the gifts? In every case, in every one of these seven examples, the gift is meant to build up the body of Christ and to create unity together. And that's the way it works with all of the spiritual gifts in the plan of God, this beautiful thing called the body of Christ. So, did you ever wonder why are there only seven gifts listed here? That's the way my damn brain works anyway. 1 Corinthians 12, there's nine gifts. 
First Peter lists a couple more. Ephesians has a few as well. Why aren't the gifts all nicely categorized like an AWIX kind of a chart? Why in the Bible are they scattered all over? Well, the Bible makes no effort to categorize the gifts, to list them all in one place, or to define the gifts. I don't think that's an accident. In my opinion, the gifts listed in the Bible are simply examples. It is not a closed system, but it's a living, spirit-led system. I'm afraid if it was so neatly categorized that we would box up ourselves into the gift list and we wouldn't allow the Holy Spirit to work outside of that box. Do you know what I mean? But because it's left so wide open, because there's just examples and, and there's not really good definitions, it leaves it open for us to do that hard work of spiritual sober judgment to understand who we are, who God's, how God's working, and what it's all about. You follow me? Right? I think that's on purpose. For example, the spiritual gift of music is never mentioned in the Bible. I'm pretty sure that's a gift. Steve Moore, our choirs, you know, that, that's a gift. They make our souls sing, don't they? Right? If I was in the choir, that would definitely not be a gift. You know, see, and that's not mentioned in the Bible. So it can't be that what we have is exhaustive. Uh, intercession is not listed. Empathy is not listed. The gift of technology, Mark, you're the man, right? That gift not mentioned in the Bible. See, it's, it's not a closed thing. It's an open spirit-led. God is always at work gifting where and what is necessary at just the right time. Make sense? All right, so what is the responsibility then of the spiritual gifts? You see that on your sheet as well? Yep. Right? So I think there's three things we can talk about. First, once we've, we, we just need to examine these gifts to study what are the spiritual gifts, to understand what they are and to understand what God has given us. Um, to be wise, God's given us a brain to help us understand how things work and understand things about us. So step one is to examine our spiritual gifts. Then step two is to experiment. Uh, I think it's okay to try out a gift. You know, if you think that's where God's going, if you think that's where God's leading, give it a whirl. Pray about it and see what God has in store. See if it works for you or doesn't work for you. That's how you're going to learn if it is right or wrong. Right? So don't be afraid to experiment. Don't be afraid to try a new ministry. Don't be afraid to do something you haven't done before. Don't be afraid to step out of your comfort zone and allow God to work in ways that you never dreamed. Don't be afraid to experiment and play with your spiritual gifts. I think that's how God's going to work through that. Examine, understand, experiment, and then finally exercise them. You know, it's like a muscle. Your spiritual gift has to be used or it atrophies. Your spiritual gifts needs to be exercised or they won't do any good, will they? They'll just go to waste. So the responsibility we have now that we know God has gifted us, now we need to then examine, experiment, and exercise them. I really love this verse. Paul's talking to Timothy, his young pastor apprentice. And he says to Timothy, stir up the gift that you were given. I love that word, stir up your gift. You know, in other words, what does that mean? Play with it, mess with it, use it, uh, get messy with it, put it into practice, take it out for a spin. You know, that's what this means, this stir up the gift, right? 
uh, let her rip. <laughs> this is the Dan version of the Second Timothy, right? Let her rip. Let the gift you are given, just let it rip. Um, so don't keep it inside of a little box. Don't cling to it so tight, afraid that you're going to lose it. But use it. Take it for a spin. Stir up the gift that you were given. I hope you're being a little stirred up tonight. I want you to get stirred up with your gifts. <clears throat> so here's just some closing thoughts. And uh, I debated long and hard about whether I was going to share this with you, but this is really um, my, my prayer for Faith Lutheran Church. Uh, this comes out of some study I was doing a long time ago when I was working uh, towards my doctorate. And my, my thesis was uh, going to be about helping a large, maintenance-focused church become a vibrant, mission-focused church. So I wanted to pour some time and attention and thought into that. And I got a good start on it. And then the merger came along. And that sort of trashed, and I never got back to it. But I, I, I spent some time sort of developing these statements that are still real true for me. And I think you'll have to, I'm hoping they'll be true for you, and you'll see how they're true for who we are at Faith Lutheran Church. So I'd appreciate your thoughts about this later, if you would like. So I believe that, not hat. First of all, I believe that the church is an organism, not an organization. Therefore, it's to function like a body rather than a business. Now, see, doesn't this just flow from what we've talked about today? That the church is an organism, not an organization. We are a living, breathing group of people living in relationship with one another whom God is stirring spiritual gifts and purpose and impact in the world. We're not an organization. We're a body, not a business. We have to think differently that way. Does that make some sense, everyone? We're a body, not a business. Second, I believe the church is to operate on the basis of spiritual gifts rather than around offices or elected positions. Again, this is just one of my, I, I think that the, that the sign of a maintenance-focused church is one that has all of their boards and committees so codified and, and, and so delineated that they are just caught in meetings, perpetual meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting after approve these minutes and then approve those minutes and then get permission to do this and then get permission to do that. And along the way, what happens in ministry? Not much. Not much, right? So I think the church needs to be more around our spiritual gifts. Where is the Holy Spirit moving you? Where is the Holy Spirit saying to you right now, there is a hole here at Faith Church that I've been dying to fill. What I pray that you will never hear here is that, I'm sorry, we're going to have to form a board or a committee first before we can make that happen. I would much rather say to you, wonderful, let's form a ministry action team and let's make that happen. Do you see the difference? Right? Do you see the difference? And our whole constitution is designed differently because of that. You know, we don't have that old constitution that we used to have. With, remember, we used to have to elect all of our board chairs. We used to have to elect all of our people to three-year terms on the board of stewardship. Do you remember those things? You know, it was now, it's been now seven years that we've changed that constitution. 
So now we don't have boards anymore. We have ministry action teams. And this is the reason why, right? Because mission-focused churches have fewer boards and more action teams. Make sense, y'all? The Spirit's using those gifts where people are passionate and called. Third, I believe when organizations become central, maintenance becomes the focus. But when spiritual gifts are recognized, ministry becomes the focus. Therefore, at Faith Lutheran Church, it's my desire to minimize structure in order to maximize ministry and minimize maintenance. Making sense, y'all? Again, I, I think this just flows out of the body of Christ's understanding and a flowing of the spiritual gifts. Fourth, I believe that in the church, the people are the ministers and the pastors are the administrators. Right? So what I mean by that is every single one of us is a minister. Every single one of us does ministry, not just the pastors or the staff. We're all ministers, but you have called us here, pastors and staff, to administrate the ministries that we're all part of. Do you understand the difference? Right? And again, that's a, that's a step for us. Because I still think we're stuck in an old philosophy that we call the church workers to do the work for us. That's not the way I read the Bible or the body of Christ or the use of spiritual gifts. We call the workers to help organize us in our ministry. Marty? Yep. I think, would you all agree that you feel that sometimes? Sometimes you're just afraid to do it because you'll look foolish or you won't do it right or you won't get it done correctly, right? You feel that way? So what I want to do at Faith Church is create a culture where it's okay to fail. I want to be a church where it's okay to experiment and try. It's okay to, it's okay to bumble, to stumble. You know, it's okay. That's okay. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. That's how God works and uses us. And what I think we'll discover if we have a culture like that is that it really doesn't matter if we mess it up because God still got it. You know what I mean? God likes to use imperfect people, messed up people to accomplish, accomplish his will. <laughs> right? Right? And so he's good at that. So... We're just going to try and create a culture where it's okay to try and promise we won't laugh. Yes, Rick? Yeah, I think that you know, Marty asked a lot of questions in this stuff, and to me, that's ministering, and she's saying a lot of things that a lot of us are feeling that aren't saying. So she's being bold and coming out. Are you saying she's not afraid to ask questions? <laughs> that's a spiritual gift because you, you help us. See, there you go. Thank you for that. All right, I have one more, a fifth one. Uh, I believe then that there are these three practical advantages of structuring around an ever-expanding network of volunteer ministries rather than around a single board or bureaucracy of boards. First of all, it's the implementers are the decision makers. Right? Second, the involvement level is increased. 
And third, we can respond more rapidly to the Holy Spirit's leading to meet a specific need. Man, if we ever wanted to get something done in our old system, oh man, we had to go to the board and get permission, and then the board had to go to the coordinating council, and the coordinating council would give permission to the board, then the board would come back and give permission to the person. Meanwhile, the opportunity to serve was long gone. Not anymore. We are nimble now. Ministry action teams can happen. Yep. Right. So I'm back to my number four, right? The administrators, those folks that you have called, the church workers, are the ones that you go to to say, here's what I'd like to do. How do I make that happen? Here's where I feel God is calling us, or here's that hole that I see. How do I make that happen? And it's their job then to help you connect you with other brothers and sisters, connect you with the resources you need to go. Or they may actually say, you know, that's really a great idea, but that's not who we are here at Faith because we can't do everything either. We've, we have six outcome statements which determine how we do our ministry. But anyway, it's the, it's the administrators that help the ministers find their place and operate in the body of Christ. That's what you've called us to do. Yes? Yes, yes. But I, I think one of the missing things, because there are a lot of good things that happen through the action teams, but there are many jobs in the church that are, we strive to be able to have a church continue. And I guess what I'm looking for is a way to inspire and excite people to use their talents to do the job of the job. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's hard always. Yeah. I wish I knew the answer to that. You know, I've got some thoughts like this AWICS is supposed to help that. You know, AWICS, once you do it, once you identify your gift, once you identify what it looks like, then the whole back of the AWICS are the jobs here at Faith that, you, that we need to have done that we need the people with those gifts to fill. So our hope is the more people we get to move through AWICS, the more of those jobs that we've identified will be accomplished and completed. So that's one kind of way we're hoping to get at it. All right. Make sense, everybody, about this, this idea? Now, what did we say? Last week it was the part of being a Christian is that we are committed to Jesus Christ. Today we learned we are committed to be the body of Christ, to exercise the gifts, to be, find that purpose, and to make a difference in our world. Yes, sir? This is more of an observation than anything else, but I was here on Sunday, Mm -hmm. Sunday. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I used to be a Catholic, so you know I didn't get too excited at church. Um, 
But when we were waving the palms, people were standing like this, going. <laughs> yeah. And I'm thinking, God is in our church. Yeah. We should be dancing in the aisles. Mm-hmm. We should be so having so much fun if we really understood that God was here and we were welcoming, welcoming Him to our church. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. But as a Lutheran now, yeah. I don't get excited either. Yeah. <laughs> you become German. <laughs> yeah. It's just an observation. It's a good observation. You did a great job. I mean, you were lit and fire. I mean, you were Palm Sunday. You yeah. really were. And when you were up at the altar, and John, I hear what you're saying, because I saw the same thing. But you, you were spot on. You know, it's, it's a fine line between saying you have to dance to be in love with the Lord. We can love the Lord quietly with our hands folded, too. But uh, I think there's a place and a time for both. We get excited. Mm. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> Maybe not much longer, but... <laughs> yeah. All right, everyone, a good lesson. Again, sorry for the late start tonight. Are we a little late getting out of here, too? Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, But blessings, and we'll uh, see you again this Holy Week, um, most powerful week of the church here, right? Take care. Blessings.